Hello, everyone, and welcome to Eden Speaks, a place of hope, encouragement, and grace. I'm Amy. And I'm Shannon. And we are back, you guys, as we are continuing on with our story series. But we are also doing a continuation from our February sex talk. So we're mashing the two together. Yep. And we have with us today on the podcast, Katie Barnhart, to do that for us. Because you are a queen and a professional. <laughs> the boss, babe. Here, Katie. We're so excited to have you. Yeah. Yep. Here. yeah. So nice to see your face. Yeah. Yay. Mm-hmm. We had mentioned you guys last time after um, when we were kind of doing the recap from the February Eden gathering where we did our sex talks that we um, there was one area that we did not address that night and so we didn't recap on it and we wanted to go back circle back around and make sure that we address this topic in regard to I'm sure there were more than one topic by the way that we didn't address but sure, yeah. one really important one that we didn't address and we wanted to circle back to and that was saving yourself for marriage like that's a thing in Christianity (laughs) I mean hello (laughs) so Katie you're going to talk to us about that yeah sweet sister aren't you okay the floor is yours um okay so I spent some time making notes and keeping um just writing down my story and a little bit of you know kind of how I experienced my I guess sexuality and um just because it's a loaded topic, I wanted to come prepared. So I've been spending the last few days really praying and thinking through, you know, what parts of the story to share, because obviously to share your entire story is a uh, hefty. Yeah. <laughs> you can basically go from your cradle till now, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because your sexuality is so much more than just the act of sex, right? It's, you know, it's how you experience the world. It's your body. It's everything. So um, mm-hmm. It's everything you do to connect with the world and to connect with others. And so it's a very large topic. So um, I took notes and I tried to narrow it down to things that I feel like are important in kind of my experience. And so, um, yeah, I'm just going to spend some time sharing that with you guys. And then um, at the end of that, kind of reflecting on the good and the bad involved in the story. Um, Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. First of all, I was the fourth child in my family, the youngest, and I grew up in a Christian home. And I guess you could say it was, you know, fairly sheltered. Um, Although I hate that that word gets like a negative connotation, (laughs) because I think some of that is really beautiful, you know, growing up and feeling um, safe and like your parents protected you from things. I don't think that that's all terrible. And I, I don't think in my case, it didn't mean that we didn't talk about hard things mm. um, because we did. And my parents were pretty open and there weren't that I can remember. There were not topics that were off limits to discuss in my house. Mm. In fact, they pursued conversations that I would consider probably uncomfortable. You know, they were pretty good about that. Awesome. Um, and, you know, from there, I, I want to point out that my parents, we, we talked about sex in my home. It was not something that was off limits. Um, you know, I was homeschooled until the second grade. I think uh, the first time I remember like really like a memory associated with, I guess, sexuality was that uh, I was watching birds out my backyard and one of them was riding another one. (laughs) And I remember it because I remember saying to my mom, ride them cowboy. (laughs) My mom died laughing first off, which I love. And then she's like, no, honey, they're mating, you know? And I remember at that time, and I had to have been, you know, five, six, that I knew what she was talking about. And I don't remember specifically the conversation where she said, eh, you know, this is what happens biologically. Sure, yeah. But I knew what it was at that point. So I, I very early on, my, you know, maybe it's because I was the youngest child. That's why I brought that up earlier is like, you know, things, I knew things because mm-hmm. my siblings were talking about it. And, right. you know, um, but I, I knew pretty early on um, about, you know, sexuality. Um, my mom didn't skirt around the issue. Um, and we, we had conversations about it. And I was, I was pretty young at that point. And I, I remember in, I went to elementary school in second grade and, uh, you know, people talked about stuff, but it was pretty innocent at that point um, in my childhood. And I think I th- fifth and sixth grade, I think is when they started like a sex ed program at my mm, school. Yeah. And, I, but I don't remember being like surprised by anything. Mm. So my parents must have done a pretty good job, even yeah. though I don't remember specific conversations. Sure. And I had older siblings who, and, and older sisters who had had their periods and things like that. So we were talking about our bodies around the home and it wasn't, I was a pretty curious kid. So I'm pretty sure I asked. Well, I find that shocking that you were curious, but you know, whatever. 
<laughs> oh, I'd rather just laugh at me. Um, at some point in those early years, it was probably fifth or sixth grade. I remember my mom took me on a weekend camping trip. I think it was just overnight. And we went actually to Whidbey, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. And stayed in our trailer up on my parents' property. And um, she had brought this material, some sort of, you know, discussion of how to talk to your preteen about sex. And she brought the materials with her and she went through it with me talking about, you know, body and sexuality and um obviously saving yourself for marriage. That was a big part of it. And um, I don't, I honestly cannot remember any details from it. Uh, Don't remember what she talked about. Obviously it was helpful. um, But what I remember, (laughs) what I remember vividly is just the feeling of care Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that she was not afraid or um, uh, I don't even remember feeling like she was nervous to talk to me about it. Again, I was a fourth child. So maybe it was just like, well, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she had practice. <laughs> and um, just the fact that she cared to give me that one-on-one time um, to talk to me about those, those things and just the love associated with it is the overall impression I had. Um, and um, as I reflect on my childhood, I think that I had overall the impression that my body was good, that sex was good. Um, uh, and that also it was meant to be protected and kept safe. Um, that's amazing. I don't think that that's a little, I think that's where that's I know that that's where it's beautiful, but I'm like, oh my gosh, like she should write a book or something on how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, um, and at least that's how I internalized it, you know? Um, and I think when you live in a secure attachment home, with parents that you know love you and care for you, it's easy to internalize things in a positive way, right? Even mm-hmm. if they didn't do everything perfect, um, because I knew that our connection was good, because I knew that they loved me, I internalized it as good, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. part of that's it. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm hoping that for my children someday, aren't we all? Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Uh, so, so right around my middle school years, I want to say seventh grade. Um, I figured out I was a girl. <laughs> no, obviously I knew my body and stuff like that, but I, I had been a tomboy for a really long time. And um, I figured out that I could get attention by being pretty or cute. And I remember putting my hair in pigtail braids and dressing in girly, girlier clothing. Um, and up until that point, I had kind of won the attention of others by being fast or strong, like all the boys. Um, but this was, this was a new experience. I figured out that I was attractive, um, mm-hmm. at least somewhat. But again, it was like pretty largely innocent, you know? Um, I was discovering what, you know, femininity looked like in pretty harmless ways at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like one or two like little, my parents didn't have any restrictions on dating. And I, uh, it's so funny. I had like, I don't know, seventh grade, you, you, I found a boy and I called him my- You have boyfriend. a boyfriend, quote unquote. <laughs> probably not um I didn't even really let him hold my hand that first one (laughs) I think I had two boyfriends or something oh sure at a time yeah not at the same time (laughs) (laughs) no no um I guess that's more an elementary one and then the next yeah Yeah. and um they you know I didn't even let him hold my hand probably um I feel like it's more of a title at that point exclusive best friends or brothers at that point yeah um, and I would see them at school between and in classes and my parents would pick them up for youth group during the week. And so I was kind of just like, you know, being this friend with this boy and trying to get him to know who Jesus is. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Um, and then I remember before ninth grade, this is eighth grade, I was, you know, pretty young still at that point, I had um, a, one of those like boyfriends, quote unquote, and I brought him to um, church and I, I was going to high school group for like the first time and um I, we had these new high school youth pastors and I remember introducing him uh to the wife of the, the youth pastor at that time and I remember her um being so surprised that I had a boyfriend and I remember her looking at me and being like why would you what and not in front of him obviously but mm-hmm. like why do you have a boyfriend mm-hmm. and oof, uh <laughs> my parents had talked to me about relationships but they like I said they didn't put restrictions on it um and until that moment, I didn't, I didn't realize that there was anything about what I was doing that was, you know, quote, bad wrong, yeah. or wrong, which is interesting. Um, 
and even as I reflect on it, I don't know if it really was. <laughs> it's pretty innocent at that point. Not that it couldn't have turned into more. Sure. Um, uh, but I was the kid who, at a very young age, has decided that my significance, what made me special, was that I was going to be good. I was going to do right. I was going to win praise and affirmation and um, special attention or affection by being good, by doing the right thing. Um, and making right choices and decisions. So when my youth pastor and his wife um, very clearly endorsed a no dating policy, I was immediately like going to get on board, right? So, um, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> poor little boyfriend. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, it was, uh, yeah. those things are so funny at that age. Like, like you can't even like call it anything. It's not really dating. Um, he probably moved on to a next girl, another girl the next week, right? Right. Um, so I broke up with him and uh, immediately dove into what uh, is called the purity culture, uh, which if you don't know what purity culture is, I will educate you. <laughs> it was a movement in the 90s and the early 2000s, and it focused uh, pretty much upon you know teens. The, the main focus of it was upon teens saving sex until marriage. And it was influenced by books um, that were written during that time, like I Kiss Amy Goodbye by Joshua McDowell and Passion and Purity by Elizabeth Elliot. And there's several other books and I, I definitely devoured these books. Mm. Um, I read them all. And I, I know when I reflect on my heart in that time, what I wanted more than anything was to be close to Jesus. And somewhere in there was definitely like a desire to please him. Um, for whatever reason, like the evangelical church culture at that time had embraced that idea that like one of the foremost ways that you could please God uh, was to remain a virgin until marriage. And that was really, really, really heavily talked about at that time. This was emphasized like at summer camps and retreats and in small groups. And I even, I remember uh, purchase, well, telling my parents that I wanted and they bought me a purity ring and it said, true love waits on it. And um, I remember tell my parents that I wanted it, they ordered it for me. And um, you know, in, in McDowell's book, he emphasized the idea of not dating. He was very focused upon this idea of courting. And so that, that, you know, that dating was the lowest form in which people could get to know each other, which is an interesting concept. Yeah. Since we don't live in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, but his idea was that, you know, you were, that it was better for you to get to know someone in a friendship type of relationship over a period of years. This was the ideal, right? You get to know um, men and women in a, in friendship form. And then, you know, eventually maybe one of those men stands out and then, and then you move into the courting phase <laughs> and there's no need to date because you already know them. And then you're just in, your intention is marriage, right? In an ideal world, um, which, uh, what? Yeah, we don't live in that idea. It feels like a lot of pressure. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to just tell those facts for now. We'll get to the feelings later. Um, so I gave up dating in high school because I Amy read and that. I are like shocked at all this, by the way. We were heathens. So we're like, oh, <gasps> we're. you guys, I, <laughs> I guarantee there will be people listening to this who will be like, this was me. This oh, was my life. Yes. I'm, that's why I'm um, like, we knew that. Exactly. Yeah, that's why we want to have this conversation and hear this. You know, so, they don't know anything about this. Right? Uh, yeah, I know. So, Nobody was telling us the true love ways. I gave up dating in high school. And I very much so felt like the Lord told me not to date in high oh, school. And yeah. when I think about that now, I'm like, he, I think he did like whether or not it was because it was what purity culture was teaching at that time, or whether it was specifically something God asked me to do. I don't know. Um, but I think it was, I think there were things about it that were very good for me. I think mm -hmm. that I, um, I think that I would have found some significance in relationships mm -hmm. if, and, and I would have focused a lot upon relationships and um, gaining affirmation through that. Not that I would have, um, I don't know if I would have compromised morally. I'm not sure, who knows? But I think um, relationships with, and, and even when I chose not to date, it still was a thing. Like, it's not like I wasn't still interested in boys. Like suddenly that switch sure. flipped. Yeah. Um, I still had, uh, let's be honest. I still had lots of best friends that were boys that I like was getting lots of attention from that were probably just like biding their time till I turned 18. 
Um, <laughs> I was going to say, how did you ward them all off? Because I'm guessing that there had to They been, just knew. They knew that I, and I rejected like, them. Listen. But I can't. still kept them close. You know, yeah. I just mean. <laughs> They're like, we'll take it. I was you friend zoned them so hard. But I was yeah. certainly a tease. Like, let's not, let's not, you know, put me on some pedestal. <laughs> um, but I think, honestly, I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing to not date in high school. I think that I probably saved myself from a lot of heartache and stupidity. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, so I basically learned in that period of time that dating was bad, courting was good. And me and my best girlfriends, we, wear our, we wore our purity rings with a level of pride, <laughs> mm. which is another thing that I'll get to. Um, but I was, so I was 18, I was out of high school when I met Drew. Mm -hmm. And so I was free game, right? I was allowed to date now, but I was still so like wrapped up in that mindset um, that Drew had a lot of barriers to get through before I allowed anything to happen. I think um, so much of my identity had become wrapped up in, you know, the independent self-sufficient girl who didn't need a guy mm -hmm. who um, didn't date, you know? Um, so it was hard and that, that made me feel special, right. And significant and different. So mm -hmm. I clung to that. Uh, Drew had to go through a solid six months of rejection from me before mm -hmm. I even considered the possibility. Man. I mean, I, I know was, I would say, wow, he is like tenacious, isn't he? I was convinced that if I ever dated or got married, it was at least a decade away. And I was going to, I had all these plans of what I was going to do with my life. He didn't fit those plans. Um, I was going to go be a missionary somewhere. I don't know, maybe a nun. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so funny. Uh, that, that last part was a joke, but it was a joke me and my friends threw around. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, yeah, he had a while, a while to, and, and I had to work through some of that in my own heart and recognize how much of that was just me and what I, an identity I had created versus what God actually had had for me and what was, you know, meant for my life. Um, and then, you know, after we started dating, it took me another solid six months to even admit to friends and family that we were dating <laughs> mm. um, because I considered myself too young still, which is so funny. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyways, I had like so many negative connotations wrapped around the idea of dating. Um, but for whatever reason, it, dating was so negative in my mind, but sex didn't get that. Like that connotation didn't translate to sex. Mm. Sex wasn't, and I know for many it did. So I will, will address that later, but I didn't, I, there was not a point where I viewed sex as like a horrible thing. Obviously I thought it was meant to be safe for marriage, but the thing that I thought was horrible was dating, which I think is so hmm, hilarious. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, was, I couldn't tell yeah. you. Yeah. Huh. Um, waste of time. <laughs> did you think it was going to be a waste of time? I definitely. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I definitely was under the impression you just get to know someone as a friend. Which totally can work out. I am not sure. saying that doesn't work out for yeah. people, but also you, there's nothing black and white about sure. relationships and how you meet people. Mm -hmm. It's very dependent upon your life and both of you and like, how God works things, right? Yeah. Every relationship story is different. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, I didn't, <laughs> fun story. I had never kissed a boy either. I didn't kiss Drew until we were engaged. Wow. Again, I'm just going to tell you the facts here. <laughs> wow. Uh, try to leave my assessments till later. Um, it was a shorter time than, guys, it was a shorter time than I had originally planned because I <laughs> was convinced. And this is, again, this is another way of trying to like uh, be the best and be the best when it comes to purity culture because the best was described as kissing on your wedding day. Oh my word. Yes. In these books. So what if they're bad kissers. What if, right? what if like you kiss them and you're like, there's no spark. What did you say? You got practice. Like no spark. And then yeah. it's like, I just married this person and I feel nothing. Well, I but mean, I kiss yeah, them. I'm sure that's happened, but also you can, you can probably tell sexual attraction without actually. Yeah. I would, I would so. hope so. But then I'm also like, but what if like the anticipation is what you're feeling? And you know, like, oh my gosh, like my mind is blown right now. Then I guess for those people, you teach the person how to kiss well. <laughs> it is a it is a teachable thing. So you know. So anyways, we kissed when we got engaged. I compromised, guys. 
you're like, okay. <laughs> I'm laughing. Yeah. Really blurring those boundaries there. Um, anyways, yeah, we kissed and we got engaged. Um, and don't worry because, you know, for the rest of that engagement period, we had some pretty heavy makeout sessions. Okay. <laughs> so you're like, not going to pretend, pretend we were amazing <laughs> for the rest of that time. Um, and then, you know, um, I was a virgin when we got married and I had only kissed or truly dated that one guy, Drew. Um, the man I married, my purity ring came off um, and was replaced by my wedding ring. Um, and as far as all things were concerned and what I had learned in my childhood brain, and I was 21 at this time, so still really young, I had succeeded in following purity culture and all of its guidelines. And, and you know, what was taught to believe, what you were taught to believe and uh, what could easily be believed is that I would then waltz into marriage into my married life with no sexual baggage and mm. um, our sex would be perfect. And therefore mm. our marriage and our intimacy mm. would be perfect. Mm. Not anywhere on the Dis planet. False. <laughs> <laughs> False. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, here's my quick update here. We had baggage in every area. Sure. Um, and our sex sexuality was just one of those areas. And I, yeah. that's true for every single married couple. Um, Drew had had sex before we were married. Um, I'm not gonna talk about his story, mm -hmm. but that is true. Um, and I'm, But I'm not even talking about his baggage. <laughs> even if he had walked into the relationship of virgin and done you know similar things that I did, we both would have still had baggage. I had plenty of baggage. Um, yeah. And sex is this wonderful, beautiful, mystical, fun, delightful, great thing. Um, and it's such a wonderful gift, but everyone, every single human on the planet, unfortunately has baggage associated with it. Yeah. yeah. How um, do you feel like this purity culture contributed to that baggage? Because it sounds like there's good, there's bad, there's like, you can see both sides of like how it can be, how you were influenced and, and so on and so forth. So how do you feel like that played into like, this overall space that you were in going into your marriage. Yeah, I can reflect on that quite a bit. Um, so even, like I said, even me, the one who had quote unquote done everything right and kept mm -hmm. it till wedding day, um, I had plenty of stuff I had to work through. Um, but, you know, speaking for my story and my story alone, I'm not going to try and like encompass every single person who grew up in the purity culture um there were good things about it for me i'm not i think like like you said there's good and there's bad in every story right and i mm -hmm. there were really good things about it um in but there were also some pretty ugly things about it that when i reflect back i'm like ugh, gross mm -hmm. um as with anything right mm -hmm. i i think some of those things were flaws just like within the system uh, because humans love to twist things for their mm -hmm. own gain um, even unintentionally, you know, we do it. We take something yeah. that is meant to be good and we can twist it so easily. Mm -hmm. and, but even if the motives are good, we, we also, every single human has the ability to interpret things through their own broken lens in a messed up way. So even if the intentions are good um, yeah. and the system is even semi-good, every single human's experience is different because we're all broken humans. Yes, and, that's exactly what I was going to say. Right. Yeah, like even if like the the execution of giving out the information is like solid, mm -hmm. what those that are listening bring to the table can yeah. then change how that's received and then make it into something that it isn't. Like there it it's impossible to be able to like mm -hmm. disperse this information and have it land exactly the way it's intended with every single person. It's just not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. I, I think beyond just how we interpret or experience things, humans can use any any sort of system as a form of abuse. Um, and when I you know when I hear stories of other people that I know, my my experience was not this, but I I know plenty of people coming out of purity culture who experienced pretty severe forms of abuse related to it. Um, that you know it was used you know pretty pretty traumatizing experiences that the purity culture was used um, even to cover over sexual sin um, and predatory behavior. Mm. So, you know, things were done to women that I know, and then they were made to feel dirty because of it. Uh, things like that. And again, that's, I don't think that's necessarily like purity culture's fault. 
but humans break things <laughs> we do and um, we're twisted and it's very easy uh, to twist something even that maybe was meant to be good. Um, so, you know, my, my own experience and I'm only gonna talk about my experience for the most part, um, but it was pretty benign in that department. I, like I said, I think um, there were things about the culture that I grew up in that were good and that were bad. And um, I'll talk about those things. You know, what do I want? I guess, you know, what I'm gonna talk about is what I want my kids to know and learn mm -hmm. from my experiences, yeah. and mm -hmm. what I will keep differently. Um, I think, I think, first of all, I think there was a level of good that it taught me uh, as a whole, the premise of saving sex until marriage is, in my opinion, spiritually and also like logically a good one. I don't think it's necessarily, I, I think it's good. Um, do I wish that if I could go back, I had a bunch of boyfriends and slept with a bunch of guys in college? No, I don't, I don't wish that. I don't want that for myself. And I don't I don't want that for my kids. Um, I don't feel like I missed out on anything there. Um, and as a whole, I think the purity culture, I hope, was born out of a desire to please God and um, also probably out of a desire to like decrease teen pregnancies and STD transmission and abortions and things like that. So, um, but as a whole, I, like I want my kids to save sex for marriage, um, but I want them to save it not out of some sort of misguided belief that it will make them more pure, quote. Mm -hmm. Um, or favorable in God's eyes. I think that that's a pretty messed up viewpoint or not because their parents or their pastors or, you know, their mentors or, or because the Bible says that they should, but um, I want to be someone who teaches my kids that their bodies are really magical and wonderful and that God um, gave them something precious and wonderful in the form of sexual intimacy. And I want them to experience that in a, in a context that's um, like a relationship that, that is based on lifelong commitment. Um, one where they will hopefully experience less shame and rejection. Um, you know, one where like they are desiring to know the other person and the other person is desiring to know them and it's, it's mutual and there's, you know, there's reciprocation there. Uh, and obviously that's not guaranteed in marriage, um, mm -hmm. but it's probably more likely. Um, so I'm hoping that for them. I do hope that they save sex for marriage um, and also that they, you know, uh, receive spouses that, you know, want the same level of intimacy and healthy relationship that they do. I want that for them. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible, it talks about the Holy Spirit being present in the midst of sexual intimacy. Uh, and it's kind of a weird passage, <laughs> but it talks about not being joys, joined haphazardly with anyone because this grieves God's heart, right? Grieves the Holy Spirit. And I remember reading that passage and it was kind of taken out of context quite a bit, but, um, but I remember thinking that's so weird as a teenager, like, you mean God's with me when having sex? That's weird, <laughs> that's super weird. But I, I mean, I guess it's not any more weird than just the reality that God's with us in everything that we do. You know, he's in, in a part of all of what we do, which if you really stop and think about it, is super crazy and weird mm -hmm. and awesome. Um, that includes those moments of deep intimacy. And, and, and when I think about that, of course, the Holy Spirit desires that that intimacy um, is beautiful and free of shame, yeah. right? He wants that, the Holy Spirit wants that for me. And um, it grieves him when the love that we deserve isn't reciprocated or when, when the intimacy is lacking. And that makes sense. And I, I guess I want that for my kids. And I want my kids to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that they won't settle for anything less than that true kind of intimacy. So I guess in, in my opinion, that's more likely in a marriage setting. So yes, the good thing, I want my kids to save sex for marriage and, mm -hmm. but I want them to do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Not because they think they're gonna get a gold star yeah. and that their marriage will somehow be perfect because yeah. of it. Um, I want them to, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and know that, you know, they're following him and that, and that they're seeking the right kind of intimacy, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were, there, that's, that's mainly the good from the purity culture that I would take away. But there was also a lot of different things, um, problems that I and others that I know experienced within the mm -hmm. system. And again, whether or not it's the system itself or whether it's just the way we interpret it, I don't know. Well, the first thing that I was that I noticed um, about the purity culture that I kind of hinted at earlier was that it created a, a kind of unhealthy sense of legalism. 
um, they placed this really heavy um, emphasis upon pleasing God in one really specific physical way, um, virginity was like idolized, which is not is not a very new concept, right? right? No. <laughs> yeah. Like history has always idolized yeah. virginity, especially amongst females. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were a very um, desirable woman if you were a virgin. That's right. Which yeah. is kind of disgusting how that, yeah. We'll get into the sexism later. Um, but isn't this so like humanity? The gospel is never enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Because the gospel says that he dies for me while well, all I have to bring to the table is, you know, brokenness and dirty rags. Mm-hmm. Um, it places all humans on the same level playing field. It doesn't elevate some above the others, including, you know, virgins in this some holy place. But, um, but for whatever reason, this culture gave it as a way to earn favor with God. Like, how can I make God love me more by making sure that I kept myself pure? You know, obviously it was never explicitly said to me that God was displeased with those who had sex before marriage, but because it was so heavily emphasized that God would be pleased if you saved it, like, you know, you did do the that. implication yeah, was there. That, that was, um, it was also true. And there was this, there was this uh, at that time, and many of you probably uh, were a part of this in youth groups, uh, there was this um, demonstration that they did. And it was, I think there's different variations on it, but the Rose demonstration, um do either of you know what this is um, oh my gosh really I think so. I, i've heard about i think it's similar to Kingdom, version, there was all different versions oh. but basically yeah. something got passed around the room um i don't actually know if i experienced the demonstration or if i just heard about it from sure. other people but the one that i heard about more was the rose that gets passed around the room and it's supposed to represent your sexual purity okay and as it gets passed around the room basically by the end of the demonstration the rose is all broken and shattered just just, just hang with that for a minute. Okay. Let that destroy you. The fact that this happened in youth groups. Oh, There's so God. much wrong with this theologically, yeah. is there not? Yeah. Well, so it, it's similar to what Elizabeth had shared that she experienced. Like it was, she shared it two years ago uh, and it, the same idea, but it was a piece of candy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. By candy, the time like it got to be, yeah, it was like gross and you know, oh, like gross, it just, right? yeah, really like, yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, it was heartbreaking. You know, obviously the goal was to teach people that your sexuality is precious and meant to be reserved for intimate marriage. But I feel like this did more harm than good in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. what about the person who had been raped or taken advantage of or something terrible was he or she like this broken tattered rose? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Like that's right. disgusting. How did those people feel? Right. You know? Um, and that's just one side of it, but you know, th- there was always obviously at the end of the demonstration, there was some form of like, but God forgives you and you can become a second rate virgin <laughs> now by choosing to save yourself from marriage now. And, like I got the point behind it. I do. And I, I don't think it was like all bad, but you know, there's a lot about it. That's pretty gross because when you consider the gospel, we are all broken and tattered roses, right? It's not the virgins and the non-virgins. We're all desperately in need of God's grace and mercy for us. And, um, but there was this heavy emphasis placed on sexual purity as the main thing that determined whether you were righteous, which is just messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and purity is, I think the other thing that I like started realizing later in my teen <clears throat> years is that purity is so much more than just saving sex for marriage. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians, you know, that purity is the act of listening to the Holy Spirit. It's, mm-hmm. it's about being filled with the Holy Spirit and hearing the voice of God and doing what it says. And it's not about doing all the right things. It's not about legalism. It's not about following a specific set of rules and then somehow being pure. Obviously, the Pharisees proved that that doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but purity is a result of what the Spirit of God does inside of you. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, they come as a result of what mm-hmm. God does inside of your heart, being filled with him. And it's a slow and steady and painful process generally. But his Spirit and our cooperation with his Spirit is what gives us the ability to be made pure or holy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which basically just means more whole, right. healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly this means your physical body, but also like emotional, mental, and spiritual self as well. And um, not just, not just your sex life mm-hmm. and allowing the spirit of God to bring you to health and wholeness is about m- so much more than just saving sex for marriage. And 
I don't think it was intentional, but the emphasis upon sexual purity kind of drowned out all of the other things that were also important. And I think, I think personally, if, you know, the emphasis could have been more on just pursuing the spirit and the heart of God, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, maybe some of those conversations about chastity would have been less needed. Um, because I mean, out of that. Yeah. Flows. I mean, obviously some conversation is helpful. Sure. Hormones are real. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. consequences of hormones are real too. Yeah, totally. Um, but I think, I think for me, when I reflect on what I want to keep in, and, and this portion of, you know, the legalism aspect, uh, what I want to do differently with my kids is I want to focus. I definitely want to have conversations with them about sex and I want to talk to, and I am already talking to my kids about honoring their bodies and reserving sex as sacred, but first and foremost, it's listening to the spirit of God and being, you know, having his spirit within me and with hopefully within my kids' hearts and lives and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. worrying a little bit less about all of those details and trusting their hearts to God, which is very hard. To do. Yes. <laughs> Rather than trying to control it. Um, yeah. Really difficult to do. Um, but I want my kids to be able to be led by the spirit of God because they're not always going to be under my roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyways. That was the first thing that I noticed that I feel like was pretty broken about the system. The other thing, um, is there anything you guys wanted to say? No, it's good. You're doing great. Okay. Yep. I'm talking a lot. No, you should be talking. Do you have a lot. thoughts? That's your story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, We're just still in awe by all the like. Really? The wow. other thing that was kind of uh, that was pretty broken about the system, or about the way that you know people interpreted the system, is that there was a heavy level, and I've already hinted at this too, misogyny, mm-hmm. um, sexism mm-hmm. within it. Um, honestly both ways not just females although there was a heavy heavy emphasis upon females it it, but both yes indeed (laughs) i think it placed a heavy emphasis upon females to somehow control the sexual urges of men yeah like it's our responsibility (laughs) or something i had i wore a tank top over my swimsuit and shorts for all of my teen years my word um shorts help control themselves yes yes shorts had to be a certain length um, if you were in the church during these specific years, you would have heard the words modest is hottest. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Real gross. Um, and you know, there's some of that, that I'm sure <laughs> came from the best intentions. Um, and I, I think there, I knew that my body was a beautiful thing. I knew that it was to be treasured and cherished. And I knew that, mm-hmm. but I also had this other thing in the back of my brain that if I moved a certain way, it could unwillingly to me, like unknowingly to me, become wrong and dirty. Oh, golly. Like what you do, the way you move is somehow immodest because you're a female and you got some boobs and a butt. And how dare you move a certain way? Move your hips? Ah! (laughs) And this is the phrase they like to use because it might cause a quote, brother to stumble quote (laughs) my word um so basically purity culture taught me that men were sexual animals who could not control themselves my goodness and it was genetic and hormonal and it honestly that's demeaning to men it's awful it's demeaning as if they you can't and also like belittling and like um takes away their uh the ability for them to learn to be responsible for their own bodies. Like, <laughs> yeah, robbing them of, of the ability to be to like, be oh, healthy, hey, you're right? doing this. Like, oh, they're men. Of course they're going to look at pornography. Of course they're going to like be sexual animals. You need to help them, women. I'm like, oh, wow. So it was bad on both ends for females and males. Yes. Um, and like all this like emphasis on like it, I mean, at least what I'm hearing is men have all these sexual desires and they can't control themselves. So therefore as women, as girls, we have to be a certain way. And also obviously you don't have any sexual desires. Oh, that's so, and if, then if you do, then how are you feeling if you're having sexual desires? If you women are expected that's what breaks uncontrollable men do, you know, like yeah, we're supposed to like be the ones that have the ability to say no because apparently we don't have sexual urges, which is bogus because totally we do. Bogus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's real bogus. Um, girls were somehow less sexual and had to be the breaks in the relationship. I think that was the like the concept. They had to prote- protect the helpless men by saying no and somehow like wearing a chastity belt until you got married, right? right. So gross. Um, 
Hey, it turns out girls are sexual too. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that. We like sex too. And that there's we nothing do. wrong with that desire. And God actually put it in there. And hey, if it was only meant to be experienced by men, then why do women have orgasms? Just saying. Right? It's just as enjoyable for us. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous um, to think that it's not. Um, and, uh, you know, where are the men trying to protect us from our female urges? They're not. <laughs> right? <laughs> Anyway, I mean, it was that part of it was just so messed up. What if, you know, what if instead of focusing on the females, the emphasis had actually been upon both males and females, but how about just the individual being responsible for your own body and your own heart with the Holy Spirit? What a concept. What a novel concept. Um, Yeah. There's a, I I think that this also bleeds into marriage. I think that's, Mm. that's one of the things that I saw that bled into my marriage. Um, because even after we got married, there was this weird, and I, I don't know if this is every woman's experience, but I have talked to other people who this is their experience after growing up in this culture. Um, there's this verse that's talked about quite a bit that talks about um, you, when you're married, you should only not have sex, if only refrain from sex, if you are fasting or praying, mm-hmm. if you have decided together to fast, or, fast and pray. Uh, also, if you're on your period. I don't know if that's in there. Probably it is. Yeah, it's in there. Like Leviticus, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you're unclean. The Old Testament. You're unclean. It's definitely in the Old Testament. Yeah. I was thinking it was attached to that, but maybe not. Okay, don't listen to me. But yeah, that too. Yeah. That could be in it. That might be part of But that goes along the line. You're you're referring to it goes along the lines of don't ever deny your uh-huh. uh-huh. So this bled into marriage in the sense again, of like again, sense? I'm somehow supposed to control my now married husband's sexual urges by always being available. That's disgusting, right? That's so disgusting. But that that was in my brain. That was for sure in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I to in order to be a good wife, I need to just be able to, you know, do it all. And I don't get me wrong, I like sex. I in the beginning of you know, especially, it's like I was not afraid. I wanted to frequently, um, but and I still love sex. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. There you go. Sex is I great. Love sex sex is a wonderful thing. Me too. Awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, you know, there's not very often where I'm like, nah, I don't want that. But there, there are times where you're not emotionally connected, yeah. where you're not, where there are times where either you've had a fight or you're just missing each other mm-hmm. and you haven't had good quality time or whatever. There are times when you're not connected and the idea of having sex feels wrong mm-hmm. in that moment. Well, it's almost as if they were trying to explain libido from that standpoint when males and females libido are very different we're driven differently but that doesn't negate like desire and all the different things and or 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 being responsible like you're saying well there could be women there there are relationships where women have the woman has more libido than the man so i mean like there's lots of (laughs) there are different things Mm -hmm. out there so it's hard to like you're right we need some connection we need some like sometimes yeah. like without that, I would argue that men need that connection too. They I maybe guess. have just been taught culturally yeah, they that they don't have to, yeah. um, which is also disgusting and needs to be changed mm-hmm. um, in our world. And I hope that we're teaching our men to be more emotionally healthy as they grow, yeah. these little men. Mm-hmm. Um, but I- She meant about our kids. I meant our little kids. Little men, not our husbands are not, not my husband. <laughs> my husband is not a to little man. Yeah. He is so. not a man. <laughs> um, it took, anyways, it, I think that, you know, you, you cross over into, you know, from the purity culture to now to being married. And it's like this weird shift is supposed to happen where it's like sex, mm. bad outside of marriage, sex in marriage, good all the time, do it all the no time, what. be yeah. available all the time. Um, and I remember, uh, there were times when I had sex where I did not feel emotionally connected and being like, that didn't feel right. Um, and I think, you know, counseling years later, uh, was probably one of the first times that I actually heard someone like my counselor said to me, uh, sex is reserved for intimacy. And if it will not create intimacy to have sex, then do not have sex. And I was like, oh, oh, this feels very obvious. Why have I not known this? <laughs> you know, like this feels like an obvious statement, but sure. it wasn't at that time. And, you know, it, um, the just the idea that it was designed for intimacy and if intimacy is not going to happen then delaying it having a conversation connecting emotionally first before you you do the sex right um (laughs) i think 
Indeed, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I said, we both had baggage and we both still have baggage and we're both learning, learning how to love each other still. And we're almost 13 years into our marriage. And, um, you know, I feel like our sex life, it's intimate, it's fun. It's, you know, it's, it's not full of shame at this point after all these, you know, years, it feels safe, but, um, it's not perfect. And we're still working out things and, um, we're still working through baggage and we're always still learning, but I want to teach my kids um, that as you know, an individual, you're responsible for your own body, your choices. Um, it's not your job to make your spouse or your boyfriend or whatever, or just your friends that are boys, or um, it's not your job to uh, keep them healthy or pure. Mm-hmm. Yeah whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's your job to be responsible for your own heart with the Lord. Yeah. Um, so boom, there's that section. <laughs> You're so organized. I love it. Yeah. Check. I have one more. Somebody's calling the office. Um, yeah. <laughs> Somebody hit the phone. Oh, <laughs> Somebody is. Okay. The last thing that I wanted to talk about that I feel like was, um, you know, something that I would want to change about mm-hmm. what I learned um, in the way that I teach my kids. And that was that I think within the purity culture, there was a heavy um, emphasis upon like a disconnection from, from your body um, and even like shame around your body. And I don't think this is true for everyone. And for, for instance, my experience, I don't necessarily feel like that was entirely true for me. There are certain things that I'm like, I still like feel weird shaking my hips, things like that. You know, there are certain things where I'm like, oh, I was taught that this was not what a modest Christian girl does, but, um, but not as heavily as some people that I know. Sure. Um, so i I feel like I want to make sure with my kids that I balance conversations about waiting, um, with t- also talking about sexuality and the beauty of it and how great and not shameful mm-hmm. our bodies are. And mm-hmm. like I said, my parents did a decent job of that. So I'm not, uh, but I'm not the majority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think embodiment is pretty foreign anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, we as humans like to disconnect from our bodies kind of in general, cause they do overwhelm us or they do yep. lead, maybe quote unquote, lead us astray or confuse us or, causes discomfort or, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that's pretty common in general. Well, I think some it's, people who grew up in the purity culture would say, and I've heard this from plenty of people that when they got married, it was like all of a sudden they had to flip a switch. Yeah, Like sex was bad and now sex is good. And that, that, that can be like really jarring if you are someone who completely disregarded your body totally prior to that moment now you're suddenly yeah. supposed to awaken sexually like, like in one night like oh my gosh that is a lot of pressure <laughs> so like in the matter of a couple hours like we just got married four hours ago and now we and can yes. uh, now suddenly i am a sexual <laughs> lioness like, in the bed yes. and it's like wow <laughs> it's like being a superhero let yeah. me go ahead and now okay oh my so, gosh um yeah. So, yeah i think just making sure that i'm not talking to my kids and hmm. about how hmm. wonderful their body is and these feelings and these sensations that they're having and how great that is and how God intended that for us. And like, um, not shying away from the beauty of the body. Um, but also talking about how you can have boundaries around that so that it, yeah. it continues to be beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want both of those things to be so, so heavily balanced. Um, and I, 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 that for most people, that wasn't the experience if they grew up in this yeah. culture. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think for me personally, like people around me, and I, I hope this for my kids too, the people around me were pretty not shy about talking about sex. I think even when I was dating and getting um, engaged, I had like mentors that would pull me aside and be like, let's talk about sex. You know, like they wanted to just make sure that I knew about it and they're pretty free and the, talking about how great it was. And I think that those things were very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember even my mom talking about how great it was and being how, and how awkward it was in my teen years. <laughs> like okay mom okay mom um and I get it like as a parent I get it talking about sexuality and our bodies can be awkward and hard um and it can be so easy to want to like stray away from those conversations or get through them as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because it's awkward um and I think for a lot of people their experience if their parents talked about it was uh, it, within this culture I'm saying was uh don't do it until you get married uh don't think about it don't talk about it period, the end, mm-hmm. let's move on. 
Um, but then the expectation was that somehow you would know what to do and how to enjoy it and experience it magically once yeah. it happened. And that's just not, mm. it's not realistic. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess what I'm doing differently, um, what I'm trying to do with my kids is uh, I, I, I talk to my kids about um, sexuality. I do, even now, they're young, they're five and seven. Um, but if you know Zeke, you know that uh, he asked me about sex when he was three. Uh, <laughs> he's a curious child. And I am doing my best um, to not discourage the conversations and not shy away from them, even when they're awkward. I talk to my kids about how amazing their bodies are. Um, I don't discourage my five-year-old daughter from shaking her hips. And I don't plan on it ever when she dances. I think that I want her to feel beautiful mm -hmm. and I want her body to be magical and wonderful to her and my son too. Um, I did, in fact, this is funny that we're talking about that, how awkward I feel when I dance um, because of that culture that I grew up in. I think when I first moved here, I joined a, this is hilarious and embarrassing. I joined a dance class at Thrive because I wanted to be more, I wanted to experience embodiment. I had listened mm -hmm. to like a podcast about embodiment mm -hmm. and I was like, I think I'm pretty disconnected from certain parts of my body um, that I deemed I feel like bad. I remember this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like you're things that talking. I deemed as like unholy or mm -hmm. immodest. And so I joined a dance class specifically with the purpose of learning how to shake my hips and not be afraid. And it was, and if you know me, I am pretty introverted and that was highly awkward for me to dance in front of people felt really awkward. Um, but I forced myself to do it. And I'll tell you what, it was a really good experience. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, the first, I don't know, eight or so classes, I was just like, this is so awkward. I don't know what I'm doing. Which leg is moving? I don't know. Eight you know, or so classes. That's you stuck with it. Oh, I did it to for like be a awkward year. for eight full. Oh, a whole year. Yeah, probably. Wow. Um, not like every single week, but when I could sure. go. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I. But you know, at a certain point, I got to the point where I wasn't focusing on you know just like, oh, which leg is moving. I got to the point where it just felt pretty mm -hmm. natural, and that was a good. And it did almost feel like meditative, mm -hmm. like oh, I'm just moving my body and experiencing mm -hmm. it, and my brain is shutting off for a little bit, which yeah. is pretty hard mm -hmm. for me to do. Um, and I'm in my body in this moment, and it was really beautiful. And some people get that through yoga or whatever, but for me, it was a dance class because I knew that that was something that I needed to overcome. Mm -hmm. What I hear, your husband is quite the dancer. He's a very good dancer. That's what I've heard. Mm -hmm. So you know, like, you can just dance with him. I know it's pretty funny. Um. I, I think with my kids, I also just like take every opportunity that I can to talk about how thankful I am for my body. Um, just like, isn't it so great that our bodies are so strong that we get to you know do these things. Even when I get out of the shower and my daughter comes in the room, I talk to her about my body and how great it is. And I talk to her about her body and how great it is. And not in like a specific, like this piece, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but just, just appreciating the body that God right. has given. Um, right. Which that in itself, I think is a really important piece of like body image as a whole in mm -hmm. you modeling for Thea that like you like you see the beauty in your body you see the beauty in her body like you're showing her that you know we don't have to be perfect we don't have to have this perfect physique to feel beautiful in our skin which is so hard it's very hard it's yeah very, you very hard. Hard to, like, force yourselves in some ways and I, yeah. I think uh, yeah, I, 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 yes, the body image stuff, everybody has that. Everybody struggles. Yeah, for sure. Choosing in our own, it. in our own ways, we have those things that are really hard to get out of our, it's hard to get out, get out of our own heads. Um, so, and we, you know, we've talked about the boundaries around that too. We've, we've talked about, um, you know, who's allowed to touch special private areas, you know, different things like that. It's also something that we, we talk about. Yep. And, um, but I don't, I try my very hardest not to make it any, um, put any amount of shame in it. Like this isn't, mm -hmm. people can't touch this because it's shameful. You know, I think that that was pretty like heavily emphasized when I was younger, but like, yeah. you know, a little more like these parts of your body are so special mm -hmm. um, and we protect them and um, mm -hmm. they're always uncomfortable, but good conversations. Um, Z and I, Zeke and I have talked about sex a few times. Um, and I'm always open whenever he brings it up. He's a naturally curious child and I've done my best to be pretty factual uh, to help him understand uh, because, you know, but not try not to make it too weird. Um, 
but not acting nervous either, right. trying not to act nervous, trying to just like tell him, yeah, this is what happens. It's very straightforward. I, it, that was Drew, like my Drew. He was, he's always been just, yep. he wants to, and I, I knew when he finally, when he asked that question that I had to be very straightforward and factual with him and not try to gloss over anything because if I did he was going to come right back around and ask me more questions yeah I mean and so I did I would just be like this and like I would just talk through it with him and he would be like okay do you have any other questions nope yeah and then three um Thea is five and she still hasn't asked me so their personalities are very different and oh yeah working through that but, you know, Zeke and I have had several conversations about it. And, you know, I always try to just like be pretty factual about it, but also, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do emphasize with them, like, and this is such a special sacred thing and we protect it by, mm-hmm. you know, saving it for marriage and the person that we, you know, want to have a lifelong commitment with. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. those are some of the areas that I'm obviously not all of them, but some of the areas where I'm trying to um, correct things that were ne- weren't necessarily, in my opinion, the best mm-hmm. about the way that I grew up, but also embrace some of the things that were really good sure. about it. Um, yeah, because it does sound like there are things that were really positive, and yeah. you've figured out how to adapt those in a way that maybe you saw as not as healthy, wasn't presented as in such a healthy way, and like making those That's adjustments. So <laughs> I feel like I get like oddly. I get oddly embarrassed when I share my story um, and people, because when people hear that Drew was my first boyfriend and my first kiss and we didn't have sex and until we were married and things like that, I feel like people automatically just want to like shove me up onto some sort of pedestal. Like, oh, the pure girl, the girl who did it all right. And, um, and am I glad that I only ever had sex, have ever had sex with my husband? Yes, absolutely. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say At like- this stage. Yeah, yes, like, absolutely. Right. <laughs> absolutely. I have nothing to compare it yeah. to, which is wonderful. And I think we learned, I got to learn, um, learn sex with him in the context of commitment. Mm-hmm. And was it perfect? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. not. Um, and mm-hmm. like I said, I have a lot of baggage and so did he, and we have a lot of things we had to work through and that's a whole nother conversation for another time. But I, but there were really beautiful things about it too. And um, I think I'm just trying to embrace both of those things. Yeah. Um, and I, flip broken places that need healing. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that like you pointing out that even though you waited until you were married, you still came with baggage. He didn't wait till he was married. He still came with baggage. Like, I think it's really good to understand that so that if, you know, there are young women out there, young men out there that are like wanting to wait until they are married and they do that, that like you said, it's not going to be like, oh, it's just so free. And we like, there's, there's no negative. There's nothing to work through because we have nothing to compare it to and so on and so forth. Like, you did that, but you still had baggage. And so Absolutely. like expectations, yeah, it, healthy <laughs> expectations for sure. Your baggage is I'm sure just different than what Drew's was because your experiences were very different. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't, I also wouldn't change the experience that I had. I think that right. like I said, mm-hmm. I think there were still very good, good things about it. Um, yeah. that doesn't mean Absolutely. I with nothing to work. I we all have, we are all broken, you know, emotionally physically, spiritually, mentally, in all different ways. And we all have areas where we need, degrees. Learn, we need to learn into the whole, lean into the Holy Spirit and grow. And um, sexuality is just one of those areas. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. I mean, not that you would say, well, this was my experience and I want a different experience for my kids. I mean, because I feel like my experience was different than your experience. We've talked about this. I yeah. did not save myself and I wasn't even remotely careful about that. But on the other side, I, I want my kids to save themselves from marriage, just as you want your kids yeah. to save, mm-hmm. save themselves from marriage. Because ultimately, we know at the end of the day that it is it ultimately is God's heart for us mm-hmm. because of the intimacy and the mm-hmm. connection points mm-hmm. and whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. like, but I think there's a practical, practical, practical component, even though it doesn't feel very practical, because I feel like prayer doesn't feel very practical. But I will say, and I'm guessing you do the same, when it hits me, like, I mean, my kids are, you know, my daughter's a young adult, my kid's a teenager about yeah. to be a young adult where 
I, they're older now and I don't have, you're right. I don't have control. I don't go with them every single place. So mm-hmm. what do I do in regard to this for their sexuality, their, their pray a lot. Yes. Pray <laughs> a lot. Even now. And I mean, everything like, so I just also want to just say like, if this is your hope and your desire for your kids and you don't know what to do, or you have mm-hmm. doubts that it'll work, get on your face and just ask. Ask or your the grandkids, Lord to protect or, them. Yeah, yeah, or, or whoever, yeah. Or your nephews Ask and the nieces Lord to guide them that. and lead them. Ask the Lord to or give you. you wisdom and direction. Ask, you know, pray for your kids' spouses. Pray for your kids' freaking in-laws. I, I feel like across the board, like all these things come into play and will have something to do with where they are and how they see, them, see themselves in this component of development sexual development, their relational development, all that kind of stuff. Well, and even now, if you're single and you're, you're saving, you know, saving yourself for marriage, or you've, you know, um, you're choosing to be at this point, sexually abstinent, and you're single, now is still the time for you to be praying for God to to heal those places in your heart to be uh, um, to help you have healthy sexuality mm-hmm. and a healthy body image and whatever else those things mm-hmm. are are for now. You know, you don't just like save yourself for marriage by not having sex. No, you you pursue healthy sexuality in every season of life, whether yeah. you've been married for sixty years or whether you you know, our 15 year old or whatever, you know, whatever stage, um, or whether you're a 40 year old single person, whatever God has, um, God has for you to be healthy in, in your physical body Mm -hmm. and in your sexuality to be whole, whole, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully that's the takeaway. I mean, the takeaway for me when I, I, hopefully all of us are looking back on our, our lives and evaluating areas that, um, we're good in areas that we, and also areas that um, need to grow and, and that we were challenged by that um, we would, you know, change and want to do differently. And, you know, no matter what season of life you are, hopefully that's what you're doing. And more than anything, like my, I hope you take away from this, um, lean into the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And allow him to, allow him to make us more whole. Um, allow him to define purity um, mm-hmm. as wholeness mm-hmm. in every area. And yeah. that includes sexuality yeah. Yeah, for us great. and for our kids and our mm-hmm. grandkids and the next generation for yeah. everyone. Yeah. So good. Thank you, Katie. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. I, yeah. I always, I mean, I just appreciate the, the vulnerability and, and, you know, even just sharing that place of like that you had even put this, purity on a pedestal yourself like kind of made it into an idol and it had become an identity and those things are hard to say and hard like to be able to look back and be like oh like yep I did that and you know like so I I appreciate you sharing that because I think that those spaces can are, are really relatable for people especially if there's young people that are walking through that right now and then if that opens their eyes to like oh my gosh I'm kind of doing that too and that can create healing and create a, a, a bringing them closer to the Lord and really leaning into the Holy Spirit like that's what it's all about so I just appreciate you sharing this story and and that part of you you bet <laughs> all right aim do we have some announcements before we close out that's an excellent question I'm sure we do. We usually do. I know that we're going to have another Eden yep. coming up this month. March yep. 18 is our next Eden. Eden gathering. Eden gathering. Yes, Eden gathering. <laughs> 630. Yep. Like always. Yep. And then we will have a, another Eden Speaks the, the that'll drop the Friday after that. So, but other than that, um, I don't think we have anything else. Wow kind of getting quiet we're 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 gearing up for easter guys so yep lots, lots of energy going into easter uh, what happens at church oh no Katie's <laughs> coming oh my gosh yep life does get crazy katie's yes. life gets crazy around this time so all the graphic designs all the stuff that has to go out Whoa. yep like the month before easter yeah everyone else like the week of easter yes and it's like the whole month before. right yep you're too close you're like too late and then you're like oh, crap. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yep yep so yeah it's kind of chill but we um we'll be having that gathering and then continuing with our podcast so yep those are the big things awesome will you pray us out shan
Sure will. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you for our sexuality. We praise you for sex. We praise you for this awesome gift that you've given us that is, like Katie said, it's mystical and mysterious and fun and awesome. And there's so many enjoyable aspect, aspects to it. But with it also comes, like Katie's saying too, baggage. God, there's baggage in the midst of it, whether it be based on the way that we think or based on um, decisions we've made or things that have happened to us. God, we invite you in to do your healing work, to do your guidance, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide us. We pray that as parents, you would give us wisdom and direction on how to empower and encourage our kids in this area. Father, ultimately, we want to be able to receive this gift that you have given us fully, deeply, and wholly, completely all the way. And we know that we can't do that without you, and we can't do that without each other either, Father. So we thank you for this community as we've been pressing into this topic and exploring, having discussions around it. I think there's a lot of healing work that you're doing in the midst of even that. God, and we just praise you for it. We lay all these things at your feet. We lay all our desires at your feet and our hopes, the way we see our bodies, the way we view sex, all of it. God, we just lay it at your feet today and just ask that you would just continue to do your work and help us to say yes to your work and to be responsive. God, we just love you. We trust you. Help us to trust you in all the areas of our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy and precious name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.